0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today it is Saturday, the 15th of January in Seoul, and I'm joined via Zoom by Bart von Genuchten and Benjamin Weston, two men who make YouTube videos about North Korea, amongst other things. Before we get started, please leave a review of this podcast and also check out nknews.org and consider buying a subscription for an annual subscription. It's less than a cup of coffee per day, and that helps to fund all the excellent journalism that my colleagues put out every day. Thirdly, check out nknews.org shop to find our merchandise. We've got a leadership chart, art posters, and more. And as always, if you've got question, feedback, or guest recommendations, or any comments, send it to podcast at nknews.org. Okay, so to briefly introduce my two guests today, we've got Bart van Nuchteren, a Dutch man based in Seoul, a bit like me, although without the Australian part, and uh, he has a YouTube channel, I Go Bart, and also you can find him on Twitter, at Bart van I'm going to put both of those links on the notes of the podcast episode. And we also have Benjamin Weston, a British man currently based in Ulaanbaatar, with a YouTube channel named DPRK Explained, and you can find him on Twitter at Ben Weston DPRK. I've given the pod, this podcast the working title "Bart and Ben, the Video Men." Now, Bart and Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Thank for you very me.
1: much. Thank you very much. I love
0: much. the title. Great. Uh, well, well, we'll see if the uh, if the managers decide to keep that. Uh, Bart, <laughs> you describe yourself as a Dutch travel vlogger and YouTube documentary filmmaker living in Korea. Uh, you currently have one hundred fourteen thousand subscribers and one hundred ninety-four videos. You've been doing this for three years. Tell us a little bit about how you started.
2: Okay, uh, well, with the channel or with uh, the subject North Korea?
0: Yeah. Okay. start with the channel first, I guess, because that came first, didn't it? Oh,
2: yeah. It's uh, almost like four years ago. I was uh, living in South Korea, trying to find a way to make a living. And at that time, I thought that YouTube would be a good opportunity to start a business. I didn't know what yet, because I was living with my uh, girlfriend in an Octopang, a rooftop home in uh, in Seoul. And I looked around me and I saw a lot of uh, green colored rooftops, but they were empty. No plants, nothing, no green. So my business plan that time was to start something uh, to improve the environment. It was mm-hmm. all very, I don't know, I, I was improvising my ideas by the time. and. I wanted to use my uh, A YouTube channel to promote that idea. And then eventually uh, being able to start a business. And the YouTube channel at that time was called Sexy Green. <laughs> sexy you know, Green. Like uh, green rooftops, <laughs> making them sexy. Yes, <laughs> uh, But it was a big fail. Uh, nobody liked it. Oh. Uh, but what people did like was that I was making videos with my uh, girlfriend together. And it's a very uh, famous subject here in Korea. Kukche couple, international couple. Right. Uh, and that's how I started my YouTube channel.
0: Right. Uh, one of the first videos, maybe the first video that I, I recall seeing of you, was uh, drinking soju on your rooftop.
2: Oh, yeah. That, that was maybe a bit of a joke because sexy green. So it referred to uh, the environment and green rooftops, but also to the green soju bottles that I really loved.
0: There you go. Okay. So it's, it, everything's green. Uh, the rooftops, is green. Uh, the environment, and the soju bottles. It all works. Uh, and then how did you get into producing videos about North Korea?
2: Oh, so back in the Netherlands, I studied human geography with a specialization in conflicts. And because of that study, I familiarized myself with all the conflicts around the world. And at that time, I also had a, a different South Korean girlfriend and because of her, I became very interested in the conflict between North Korea and South Korea. So I binge watched all the documentaries and videos on Netflix and YouTube and Before I knew it, I was watching all the vloggers going to Pyongyang and other places in North Korea. And it was so fascinating to get a look inside a country that is so closed. And one day I was watching one of the vloggers who was uh, relaxing in one of the parks in Pyongyang. And these North Korean children, they came up to him with water pistols, Mm -hmm. shooting water at them. And they were screaming, (laughs) Mi Seki. Uh-huh. And he was thinking, well, you know what it means, right? I'm not
0: sure yes, it, 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 American bastard or son <laughs> of a bitch. And he didn't speak Korean. So he
2: thought he was having a, a fun interaction with North Korean children.
0: Right.
2: So for me, that was really funny to see uh, because I could speak a little Korean. And that was the moment I decided for myself to go to North Korea. And with the little Korean that I could speak, maybe have, I don't know, better interactions, right? Uh, except for uh, thinking that Mikuk is a good thing.
0: Right. You could Uh, be the Netherlands or or, or Hwaran Seki, because they do use the different, the older word for the Netherlands in North Korea.
2: Hwaran Seki, that's right. Well, amazing that you know that. So yeah, I booked uh, the New Year's Eve tour with Koryo Tours. I think Benjamin knows about it. Yes. Uh, Together with my father. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like a father and son experience in North Korea. I filmed as much as possible, came back to South Korea, and I created this uh, complete North Korea documentary style series. Uh that time my youtube channel was very small I then hardly didn't have any subscribers but after a few weeks after uploading that documentary series my channel blew up and that was so overwhelming i, I didn't know what to do i was a bit stressed out i was nervous uh, there was a lot of controversy in the comments because you had people who really loved it and you had a lot of people who really hated it um, like with the, the biggest argument me supporting the north korean regime that time
0: Right. Were they comments uh, well, in the Korean language or in other languages? Mostly Korean viewers. Right.
2: But uh, the worst comments came from uh, English-speaking people, ah. surprisingly. Um, so I ran away from the subject. Yeah. I started to make a lot of other videos, uh, more about the relationship between the Netherlands and Korea. Yep. Then a year later, when I was in the Netherlands, I met a Dutch-Korean war veteran, and he wanted to share his story on my YouTube channel. And during his interview, I realized again that no, you know, I'm, I'm actually really interested in the conflict between the North and the South. So I should get back to that subject because that's where my passion is. And I slowly created more of a niche on my channel about North Korea, the Queen War. Uh, and yeah, sometimes a, a travel destination, a unique travel destination.
0: Right. You have done a lot of um, uh, videos about or with uh, Dutch Korean War veterans. I'm going to come back to that theme a little bit later in the interview. I want to turn now uh, to, uh, to Ben and find out how, well, before we get to the question, you've got at the moment, I think it's 13 videos. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. On I'm the YouTube. Right. And uh, you've just passed 8,000 subscribers, which is great because you've just started a year ago. So you're a little bit newer to the game than, uh, than Bart is. How did you begin?
1: Well, the um, EPRK North Korea has been a passion of mine for quite a long time going back. Um, And so I can't really, people have always asked me to explain why, and I don't really have a specific reason. Um, So it's always been a passion. And so in 2000, start of 2019. So actually just after Bart went in uh, on his tour uh, is when I started working at Correo Tours and not too long after that, it became clear that a lot of my work was going to be in the marketing side of things. So that's sort of where it all originally comes from is thinking of ways to promote uh, visiting the DPRK. And I think all the way through, so sort of from when I was quite young and relatively interested in this, a lot of stuff that you see on YouTube. And I'll put Bart's videos aside because I think we'll get onto that. And I think that there are, I've got a lot of good things to say about that. There's a lot of videos of people who go, and what they want to do is create the most sensationalized, sort of over dramatic video where they want to sort of present it as if them going to Pyongyang is incredible, incredible, and
0: and a very brave action. And, and really, we can we can call it the sort of the the Christopher Columbus theme or the Marco Polo theme, (laughs) that I'm the first one to go and no one's ever seen this before and check out this door I discovered at the hotel that no other foreign visitor has ever been to.
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's definitely, and that's a very good way to put it, I think. And I think, I mean, it maybe undermines the argument slightly. There's 10 videos of I'm the first Westerner to go to this supermarket, but that sort of frustrated me. And then on the other side, a lot of the content is understandably about politics and sort of the more controversial topics, But I didn't see any of what I was interested in in the DPRK, which is the culture and sort of the everyday. And to be honest, this is what I would say to people who came to the Corio office before going on tour. That's often the most interesting stuff because it is a very unique culture in the way it's developed. Um, And so having not seen a lot of that, that was something I was interested in developing. And then for Corio, I mean, really, to be honest, where the channel started is I couldn't find a map of the Korean state railway anywhere. All the information was there. And so I ended up making this mon- stupidly big sort of meter squared sort of <laughs> London underground style map of the Korean state railway. And I said, the whole, country. Um, the whole country, yeah, with right. all the stations marked and everything. And because all the information was publicly available, but no yep. one had put it together. So I thought we could animate that and put that on the company YouTube channel and maybe promote because there are railway lines you can travel in in the DPRK. So uh, mm-hmm. Pyong- Synergy to Pyongyang, the Pyongyang Line. And then Pyongyang to Najin on the Pyongyang line, I said we could run a tour and then we could use this video to promote that idea. But increasingly there were just a lot of discussions in the marketing department. I won't get into any depths of it. And there were disagreements between, you know, within the marketing department. And so that's not the direction it ended up going in. But then when um COVID-19 hit in right. about March 2020, I just got back to Beijing and unfortunately lost the job at Korea, understandably. Yeah. Went back to the UK mm-hmm. and found. Found myself with a lot of time and a lot of these ideas that I'd been coming up with over the past year, right. and so I thought that I would I, I would just start making them. And they initially, obviously, as you'd expect, they didn't do fantastically well. But I enjoyed making them, and and the people, a few people I respected, I should say, I suppose now former British ambassador to the DPRK, Colin Crooks, liked it on Twitter. So I saw right. that as a complete victory. Seoul, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. quite, yes, quite. So I, I saw that as a mark of success, and so I just carried on. And then it, like Bart said, I think I can't really pinpoint. Why it, it grew, but in about I suppose about I suppose about two months, went from sort of four hundred subscribers to about five thousand. I don't really understand. It was a why very rapid
0: Yeah, I, I think yeah. that uh, uh, Twitter had a lot to do with it, perhaps, and, uh, and ambassador Crooks uh, retweeting and liking your videos. That's I think that's how yes, I possibly. became quite familiar with them, uh, and that led oh, them to a lot okay. of retweeting and uh, and liking and stuff. Yeah. So, uh yeah i'm
2: glad to know that that worked (laughs) but your videos are amazing so you definitely deserve the the support of the algorithms on youtube thank you very much yeah
0: yeah but i wanted to ask you actually you had a chance to look at some of ben's videos what do you think of them how are they different Uh, from yours
2: like i like to call myself a fan already uh, before you approached (laughs) me for this podcast i was following his channel um it's it's very informative on a level that you don't find on any other channels and that's what i like about it because what I know, especially Dutch people, they don't know much about North Korea other than what the mainstream media shows them, which is, um, you know, about the missiles, uh, Kim Jong-un and, and nothing else. So their image of North Korea and the North Korean people is, is very small and I think and about the country. So I think on uh, Benjamin's channel, you can learn so much and you can go very in-depth into what there is in the country uh, more than just Pyongyang. And that's, I find that very interesting. And he explains it very clearly, uh, easy to understand. And his motion graphics are amazing. So right. You're, like you're constantly wondering, how does he do this? You know, the editing and the pictures and where does he get the footage and the information from? And yeah, it's, it, it answers, his channel answers a lot of questions, but it, a lot of new questions pop up about the editing
0: and the information. Right. <laughs> That's right. I remember, uh, Ben, we had, a, before I invited you on the podcast, we had a discussion over Twitter. Uh, I was prompted by... Uh, one of your recent videos in which there's the, uh, uh, the Chilbok revolutionary site is mentioned. And I recognize that as the, the, the facade of the Chilbok uh, Protestant Church uh, in Pyongyang. Yeah. Uh, and that led me to ask you whether you had uh, produced a video on religious sites uh, in North Korea, because that would be uh, an interesting one. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's quite a bit that's uh, available on that too. Um, ben, yeah. have you seen some of Bart's videos?
1: Yes, sir. So, I mean, I, I I have to say, I mean, this makes me feel bad now, but before this, I hadn't I hadn't seen any of your videos. I think I'd seen the thumbnails though, because when I then went to search them out, I'd definitely seen them. So you're winning a war with the algorithm there, I think. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'll, I'll be honest and say, when I started, as I said before, because of the huge amount of, I'll say, rubbish that's, done, <laughs> or that's put up about the kind of stuff, I was very pleasantly surprised watching your videos. I thought, it's, it was very easy to expect and anticipate a sort of incredibly over sensationalized video about traveling, but I thought it was a, a fantastic look into what it genuinely is like to go on tour in the DPRK. You went at a great time to go in for new year with the, the concert at end of 2018. Yeah. It was a fantastic video. And I think that it's a, it's a, I suppose a good contrast between the two channels here is that some people like Bart have a, an, an amazing ability to get in front of a camera and make a really interesting video about what they're doing and and the sort of the stuff they're seeing, and other people really don't. And I I don't think that putting myself in front of a camera would make for a great video, uh, but I think that Bart is in terms of the way he presented it, um, and and sort of the stuff that he did, and the way that it was not over dramatized. Because North Korea, the DPRK, is a very interesting place to visit, but it's interesting because of what's really there. You don't need to add layers on top of I did this and I did that. And I thought that was fantastic. And then I should say from a technical level, I, mm. the editing, I thought was fantastic. The way it was all put together and sort of the way well, that it was sort of all presented, I thought was fantastic. So yeah, very good. There fun- you go. Uh, we've, uh, got, we've got a lot of mutual
0: again. admiration here. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, actually, Bart, I do want to ask you, when you are filming in North Korea, it's not, it's not always allowed uh, to film in every part. I remember when I was there, I thought I was told that I couldn't take any photographs at Pyongyang airport, but you filmed quite a lot inside Pyongyang airport. But I do remember you saying during one of your videos about how you left North Korea, uh, that you were filming in the plane until one of the air hostesses caught you filming in the plane and said, you're not allowed to film, please delete that footage. And so you did actually lose some footage there. Uh, So what what I'm getting at is, did you get in trouble frequently for filming when you weren't supposed to? And and what was your sort of philosophy? Was it just, I'll film whenever I can, and if somebody tells me to stop, I'll stop? or, Or how did you do that?
2: I Well, I try to be as respectful as possible. So uh, you know the, the word South Korean word, nunchi. Yes. <laughs> uh, so whenever you feel like it's not welcome to film anything, then I, I, I stop filming because I don't want to cause any problems for the people there uh, and for myself and for the group and for the guides. Right. So it, it was around a time when the relationship between the South and North was actually quite well. You know, Moon in met uh, Kim Jong-un and it was uh, being broadcasted all over the place in Pyongyang and then the American propaganda uh, anti-American propaganda was uh, removed from the streets of uh, Pyongyang as well so um, the guides were quite relaxed I must say I, I, more than I expected so they did allow me to film uh, quite a lot well right. except for the, the stewardess so she was a bit of a, i think she had a bad day
0: right yeah, you were there uh, just a couple of months, of course, before the uh, the famous uh, Hanoi summit, where everything fell apart between uh, President Trump and uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un. I was there then uh, in April of, uh, of 2019, so after the Hanoi summit. And I think at that time, I recall that, uh, you know, they were very uh, careful about where you could film and not particularly in places like in the airport. Ben, you use a lot of uh, footage is not stuff that you've filmed yourself. So it's not a documentary style. You have a very different style. How do you get the, the source material that you use?
1: So uh, a lot of it um, is stuff that I took in Pyongyang. So, so I say a lot of it, uh, uh, some of it is. Um, some of the other footage, I've got a friend in uh, Ulaanbaatar. I think you might, you might know Rich Beale. He used to work in sure. Korea yeah. tours as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So he's, he lives nearby me. So we Hi, meet Rich, up if you're listening. Quite a lot. <laughs> yes, so he definitely will be. I'll make him. Uh, but he'll be. Uh, I meet up with him quite a lot. And so he's got a lot of footage. I mean, He's been going, you know, we're talking sort of 15 sure. years prior to COVID. So he has a huge sort of catalogue, very well-organised catalogue, I should say, of oh, footage great. that, I, that he, he's let me borrow from. And then additionally, probably what, what's the, maybe one of the toughest parts of the videos is I don't think too much about um, the footage when I'm scripting what I want to talk about. And so I'll get to the end of, uh, I'll animate everything I want to animate and I'll have everything in the timeline and I'll realise I've got a, a few gaps where I need insanely specific pieces of footage. Wow. And so normally that's a bit of a task of going through uh, the archives of Korean Central Television, KCTV, and then some of the front-facing media websites like Woody and Jokiri and Chosun Onul that have um, extensive catalogues of just general footage. And right. so a good example of this was a video I did recently on Chongjin. And there's a, a boulevard that looks down over the East Sea from yeah. the statues of the President and the General And I thought, damn, I've got about four seconds gap where I need footage of that boulevard. And so I ended up trawling through Day of the Sun uh, news footage where they went to every provincial capital to film the Koreans paying respects to the statues. And eventually there was about a three second shot where they panned around this long boulevard. But that was about three hours of extensive searching to find a sort of niche bit of footage.
0: Wow. So you really lock yourself into... uh... You, you you sort of plan out uh, the, the whole video before you start and then realise, I've painted myself into a corner, I need this footage now, and then you have to go and get it.
1: Yeah, the, I suppose normally I, I think about... The way that I normally work is I'll come up with an idea, a, a, an interesting topic, and I'll come up with what I want it to look like in my head, and I'll normally think mostly about the animation because that's something that... It's a skill that I have sort of learnt through the YouTube channel, really. I really had no idea when I started. Are you self-taught? Yeah, well yes yeah so mainly it's i'll come up with an idea in my head of how i want something to look and then i'll force myself to learn wow. how to do that so someone asked me weirdly someone commented the other day um would you recommend any tutorials and i had to say no because there's probably some very simple stuff that i have no clue how to do right. but the stuff that i have learned and made myself sort of learn has worked out well so far but it's always a learning because i mean there's no doubt in a couple of months there'll be stuff that i've tried to learn to do that i have no idea how to do now but normally that's what i focus on so when it comes to the footage i go right now i need to find myself a list of each shot and that's normally a bit of a sometimes it's a bit right. of a challenge
0: i have been impressed by how polished your uh, more recent videos look there where you know you're looking down on the map of pyongyang and and the different uh, locations that you're talking about are highlighted and and then the map sort of shifts in angle a bit, and then you zoom in, and you know it it's very polished I, i'm I'm quite impressed at how you do that, but have you got any comment on that? <laughs> I was actually curious how much time do you spend on average on one video? um it varies, i think
1: i mean normally at the moment I'm trying to do it about every three or four weeks, and that's i mean I just obviously that's not the only thing that I do, but it, it takes up a lot of time, especially during the the animation bit but for, to be honest it depends on the video when i did the video on um it was a while ago now on the money the currency korean yeah. one so i think with the korean people's one video or the, the korean one video that took a lot longer that took about two months to finish animating purely because money and currency all yeah. over the world is designed in such a way that you shouldn't be able to move things around and animate it and isolate things um, so that was a, a real sort of labor of love i think i had an idea i wanted the different icons and sort of imagery and symbolism on the notes to animate and move around and stuff. But that ended up being a much sort of more extensive task than I maybe thought when I started.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know I mean, when I was, uh, you know, 20 years ago, when I was still very much at the beginning phase of learning uh, about North Korea, and I, I came across some of the North Korean one, uh, but it was very hard to find images of, of other ones, like uh, the uh, particularly the the foreign exchange certificates, the ones with the the red stamps on yeah. it they were really hard to find and uh, i was also fascinated by the pyongyang metro which you've made a, a great video on and back in you know in the early 2000s when i, I knew nothing i would have been the uh, the perfect uh, audience for that but now of course i've been <laughs> on the metro a few times uh, so yeah. you know i, I feel like uh, it's 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 targets probably the kind of people who were where i was at 20 years ago
1: yeah yeah i think I, well there's a lot of people with a lot of questions and i found when i went back to the uk it's easy. I'm sure you'll agree in any industry. If you're working with a lot of people who are passionate about the same topics you're passionate about, yeah. you can forget that actually the average person might not know a lot of stuff you think is quite easy. And so, right. um, yeah, a lot of questions I got back in the UK were not, oh, can you go into the conference buildings at the DMZ?" They were right. more, "So Korea is two countries, right? Not one." Yeah. So I thought, okay, if that's the starting point, then then there's people are interested and there's stuff that I can make and talk about. So. <laughs>
0: Uh, and but with your videos, which are um, at least the ones that are filmed in, in North Korea, it's much more of a, a straight uh, documentary narrative. So it doesn't look to me, the, the unobser- uh, uninitiated observer, like there needs to be much planning. Uh, how do you uh, plan out or map out your videos when, you, uh, when you're when you making them?
2: Um, I always do a lot of research before I go somewhere. So make sure at least I, I got the facts right when things started, what happened uh, afterwards. So make sure that I know that I have some context in my head before I go somewhere. And while vlogging, I can use that information to say something to the camera. Uh, But other than that, I just, yeah, I just see what happens. You know, I I don't really plan that much. And especially the trip to North Korea, it's a very organized trip. So you can just follow the schedule, right? Day one, day two, day three. Right. And there you go. Day one is one video. Day two is one video. And uh, like Benjamin said, many people don't know uh, that much about north korea or maybe nothing so just explaining um you know the name <laughs> pyongyang or the metro system and how much a ticket is things like that uh, that's new information to a lot of people so yeah that that for that video was that was enough
0: and uh, tell us a bit about how you moved into focusing on dutch war veterans who were in the korean war because that's uh, that's got a quite a, a personal connection to you because of uh, a book that your grandfather put together, isn't it?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. So my grandfather, he passed away when I was quite young and I never got the chance to talk about the war. I did have conversations with him, but you know- now, When you're talking about
0: the war, you mean World War II in, in the oh, Netherlands, yeah, is that yeah, right? Exactly, the Second World War. Right.
2: And, um, but at that time I wasn't really interested in, in the war or anything uh, political. So we never talked about it, but um, he's been in a German camp for a long time and he escaped twice. And he wrote, he kept all the items that he had from that time. He kept it in the book, uh, all the letters and all the information. And he wrote on a small note that it should be given to the grandchildren whenever they are old enough to understand what has happened. So a couple of years later, my uncle suddenly gave me this book. He said, Bart, here you go. This is from the grandfather. And I realized that it's actually quite important that whenever you have the chance to talk to like, the older generations about what they have been through in the 40s or 50s, 60s, yeah. or any time after that, because it's uh, valuable information that you can never get again after their passing, right? So right. then one day I traveled to uh, the Netherlands and that time my channel was a lot about the relationship between the Netherlands and Korea, and the Netherlands also participated in the Korean War as part of the UN. Um, one of my best friends, his grandfather, who at that time also already uh, passed away, he, he fought in the Korean War. So I talked to my friend about it, we made a video and it got a lot of views. It's like, okay, there's a small opportunity here. Uh, his grandfather was friends with another veteran who was still living in my hometown. And um, he, so he wanted to share his story on my channel. So I planned this interview and that's where everything started both my interest in veterans, and also I kind of created an image of myself among the veterans in the Netherlands that I'm a a trustful YouTuber. Right. uh, To which they can share the story because he lives in Korea. He's married to a South Korean. So he understands at least the context where they uh, had been during the Korean War, the country. Because back in the Netherlands, they couldn't really share their stories with anyone for a long time because the Korean War is known as the Forgotten War. Yeah. Nobody knows. Well, hardly anyone knows about it. And, uh, and most of the people are not interested in it. So for a long time, um, they've been very, like th- they were not approached by anyone to talk about the war. So they kept it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And on my channel, I want to give them opportunity if they want to share their experience before it's too late.
0: Yeah, exactly. Before it's too late. I've been lucky enough uh, over the last twenty years or so to meet with some Australian and Dutch and British uh, veterans of the Korean War. And you and you're right. I mean, they often. Uh, really appreciate the chance to uh, to open up and and tell about their experiences and also uh, they've appreciated the chances the korean government's been very welcoming to of returning uh, veterans who come back after 50 60 years and for some of them it's their first time back in korea you know for half a century uh, and yes. i remember you know yes. uh, meeting some australian veterans who said that they they got off the ship in Pusan, and it was just people living in ration boxes. I mean, Pusan was a, a large part of Pusan, was a, um, a refugee uh, city uh, of people who had le- you know fled from Seoul and come down to Pusan, and they were living in shacks or boxes or anything that they could uh, find as shelter. And then they, they came back and, and found, you know, high rise uh apartments and uh, and modern buildings and lots of glass and concrete and wi-fi and you know it, it's a whole new world to them isn't it and i'm sure you've you've heard that a lot too from the veterans that you've met
2: yeah they were all happy to see that it had some result right because they uh, almost sacrificed their life here and many of them didn't know what has happened to south korea well they, they hear it on the news but they have never seen it with their own eyes right uh, so this revisit program it's really good for them Though uh, one of the veterans I talked to a couple of weeks ago, after the revisit, he came back to the Netherlands and he had nightmares for seven days straight. Wow. He was dreaming. So he woke up, but he thought he was still dreaming, but he wasn't. He was awake and he saw uh, a big hole next to his bed. So he couldn't get out of his bed because he thought it was like a big hole going to the ground and he would would die if he uh, stepped out of his bed. And he said that was one of the stories that he had from the Korean War. And he was experiencing everything over again wow. while being awake. And that was really shocking for me to hear. So uh, still, luckily, he didn't regret going to Korea. But yeah, they have been through a lot of things.
0: Yeah. And I'm just thinking it, it makes it reminds me that there's not a lot of uh, or at least I haven't seen uh, a lot of videos in English interviews with uh, North Korean or South Korean uh, veterans of the war and, and what they've been through. Have you seen any?
2: No, I haven't seen any, and uh, I wrote it on my to-do list this morning. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really want to talk to uh, Chinese veterans.
0: China, and, and Chinese veterans, of course, too, yes.
2: Yeah, I, right. I guess it's difficult to talk to North Korean veterans, but uh, the Chinese veterans, yeah, definitely want to talk to them and, and get their side of the story. Um, also, one of the veterans, he told me that after the truce, he still had to stay near the DMZ and um, there were chinese soldiers they were crawling through the barbed wire to get to them and they joined together uh next to a fire and they had they had rice together They had a really of time and then one of the <sighs> chinese soldiers said they could speak english uh, he said that you know if my general uh, tells us that the peace is over then i have to shoot you again Gee. <laughs> and they all laughed about it because uh, for them it was just a war you know it is war Um, we have to kill each other But other than that we don't have any hard feelings to watch each other personally that's what he said and uh, it was quite impressive uh, to hear because these days you know people are very emotional about uh, other people in other countries even though they don't know each other Mm. yeah Uh, and and those men were in wartime and and still they didn't hate each other as much as we sometimes do today Right. Uh, due to pandemic or other reasons, right?
0: And
2: yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to learn from these men.
0: Ben, have you, uh, in your uh, experiences in North Korea, have you met with North Korean uh, war veterans?
1: No, no. So I um, unfortunately only got the chance to go in once because ah. sort of COVID sort of in- interrupted what was right. going to be, hopefully be a year of going a lot more often. Um, although I can't, I mean, I, what I will say is um, while I was working at Korea, there was a fantastic video made interviewing the... Um, one of the soldiers who captured the pueblo in 1968 oh, yeah. oh and that's a, and that i think it did relatively well but i don't think it did as well as it should have and i so i implore anyone to go and watch that because that's a really good piece of very niche uh interview um where, and and where is that available? Subtitled. i think it's still on the choreo youtube channel um oh. but that was a really good piece of uh sort of market well not even marketing just a piece of uh content that's really interesting i think so is, isn't he still that. a guide on the boat? I believe so, yeah, which is why I think, I think again, I'm not to plug my my good friend Rich too much, but I believe he was the one who um, conducted the interview and it was easy to get a hold of him because he does live quite nearby and it does guide on the Pueblo. So um, that's probably the closest. But I suppose the problem nowadays is it's getting too far away from the Korean War as you get with any war and the chance to speak to veterans is getting slimmer and slimmer as time goes on. But um, I hope that potentially when things open up, it's definitely something that I'd be interested in in looking into definitely
0: that's right that generation definitely is passing away Uh, but your your number two most watched video i did a bit of research before this uh with 2.8 million views is uh titled we surprised a 91 year old korean war veteran with korean food right 91 how's his health how's he doing
2: uh he passed away a month after the interview yeah, um, that was really sad. He had diabetes, so uh, he couldn't walk. He was sitting in a wheelchair. Uh, and this is actually the man from my hometown, Oh, uh, no. Jan. And um, yeah, and, and he was so happy with our visit. And my wife cooked nice Korean food. He had never yeah. tried Korean food before because during the Korean War, they only ate the American rations, right? So yep. never, ever they tried Korean food besides kimchi. Right. So we made bulgogi for him. Um, it was a really lovely day. He shared a story about the war. And then a month later, we got the news that he died because of the um, uh, COVID nineteen. Oh, of COVID! Oh, oh gosh! Yes, um, yeah, that was was really touching because during this interview, you build such a deep bond with these men because they yeah. open up about everything, and, right. and you just listen and you get such a strong connection that that was really um, yeah that was terrible news.
0: What was it like for your wife, who is a, a South Korean, to meet these older Dutch men who, who fought in her country? How, how was the experience for her?
2: Ooh, um, Thankful. Thankfulness. She never really fought before meeting me, actually, to, uh, to meet a veteran. Right. It was only after I invited her, like, hey, would you like to join? Even though he doesn't speak English. I mean, you know, body language. You can communicate a lot with body language. She was... I think the happiest woman for a day after meeting him. Wow. She had an opportunity to say thank you Yeah. in real life. And I noticed on my channel that many Koreans, they just want to say thank you. But right. they, they have no way for them to get in contact with veterans in the Netherlands or Ethiopia or any of the other countries, Turkey, that have participated in the war. Yeah. Um, so I gave my wife an opportunity or platform to do so. And that was a really uh, emotional moment.
0: Right. Yeah, obviously, it, for understandable reasons, it's um, the, the emotions of uh, of many South Koreans toward uh, UN veterans would be very different to the emotions of uh, North Korean uh, people to uh, to those same veterans. I'm guessing. Gosh, um, yeah. Yeah. I one of my uh, actually one of your videos. Uh, my wife recently shared it with me. She didn't know that I knew you and that I was going to interview you, but she uh, shared a video that she had seen that's obviously you know gone somewhat viral in South Korea. Uh, it had about 850,000 views when I looked at it, which was where you actually brought gifts from South Korea to the Netherlands, uh, to some of the veterans, uh, gifts that had been bought here in South Korea by uh, people who wanted to thank them. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of gifts did you bring them? And how, how, did they re- how did they react when they received them?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, um, So I was there doing the revisit, and I found that the revisit was very formal. Every day, you know, they have official meetings. to meet uh, government officials. Right. And uh, they hear, thank you. But the veterans told me, uh, like, hey, Bart, you know, we appreciate it and everything. But we don't feel that this is uh, personal. That we don't think, or we don't know if whether the South Koreans really feel thankful towards us other than the officials. Right. Uh, so it's like, okay, they do. So I organized an uh, opportunity for my subscribers to send in letters. But instead, they send me a lot of handmade gifts. I think one guy, he, he sculptured the face out of clay and he put it in a frame with some nice words underneath it. Uh, another person. The face did, of the veteran. The face of the veterans, yeah. Right. So I had to send in a picture and then he, he sculptured out of clay a really nice, a real looking face. Wow. Uh, others, they drew uh, paintings. Others, they, they made uh, like wooden cups, soju cups with the name carved in it. And another person, he made, a, you know, the Korean autograph stamp?
0: Right, the Tojan. Yeah,
2: yeah. So they made a a personal autograph stamp for each of the veterans. Wow, and it was amazing to see how much effort people put in and making something for the veterans. Yeah, and I was a lucky person to deliver it to them.
0: <laughs> That's right. That is very fortunate. Gosh, Ben, your most popular video so far uh, has been Air Koryo explained. I, I surprised <laughs> somewhat. I didn't know that there were that many people curious uh, about the North Korean airlines. It, it's had one hundred and fifty four thousand views. Uh, tell us why you think that one's really taken off. What's caught the public's imagination about Air Cordial? I think that
1: it's it's one of these things that's in the public consciousness a lot more than, say, some of the other topics. So what I've found really through sort of all of the videos so far, um, the ones that people have heard a little bit about tend to do quite well. So Air Cordial, I think, people have heard all this stuff about, is it the worst airline in the world, the right. one-star airline? And, and, you know, that that's... I mean, there's no real metric for measuring that, but I would argue that's just not accurate. And so I think that sort of drew people's interest. And so it gave me the chance to talk a bit about the history, because for me, looking at Air Korea, the history of sort of the airline, the way it grew from uh, sort of in the aftermath of the division of Korea, and then sort of the way that it was associated with the Soviet Union and then split off on its own. uh, I thought that was quite an interesting topic to cover. And then people don't realise, I think, either that it does fly to more international destinations than they might think, or that it doesn't fly to as might have thought. I think there was, people understand, sort of think one of two different ways on that. Um, I think it did well though, to be honest, because that sort of was about the time, uh, probably a video or so later, where the channel sort of suddenly grew quite exponentially. I suppose that the, the railway video, the air choreo video, and the video on the Pyongyang Metro, which I think has the similar kind of pull of people who've heard a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, but on obviously these, on these all of these topics, maybe not so much the railway. There's a lot of information that's just that is blatantly not true. I mean, with the metro, the big one, I still get a few comments about it. Is I, I thought you could only visit two stations. I thought that the you know there were these two grandiose stations, Puhung and Yongguang, mm-hmm. that were allowed to visit, and the other ones were just small, tiny rubbish stations. And that's been you know that was disproven a long time ago when they opened up the whole network to tourism. Was that but ever true? Still the odd the odd comment of people. I don't I don't think so. I think it's just um, the way that, at least from my experience, the way that the DPRK always seemed to work was, it wasn't a question of what can't you see, but what can you see? So they said, we're going to open up the metro to tourism at some point a long time ago. And they said, we'll open up Puung and Yongguang because they're very central. They're very beautiful. I mean, they're amazing stations. I believe technically, I'm not sure. It's something I couldn't find out about. They're part of the Cholima line, uh, one of the two lines of the metro. But I believe technically that section is part of a subsection called the Mangyong Day Line that runs from Yongwang to Puhung. So I believe it was easy enough to say, we'll let tourists on that. But then obviously naturally, as I said before, when people want to create a story, if, you, if, you're, if your trip consists of a trip between two metro stations, it's easy enough to go, well, why weren't they showing the rest of it? And I, and I right. think that obviously once it opened, there's no sign when you look at the other metro stations, they're all built around the same time and they all incorporate the same architecture. There's nothing to suggest that in a two-year period, they sporadically suddenly built, uh, you know, 50, however many stations of uh, beautiful architecture. So I think that that's nice, nice to disprove because people still believe that. And so it's nice to say that's not
0: true. Were they built with a double function as a bomb shelter?
1: Well, I mean, I suppose that's up for debate, isn't it? I mean, they are very deep and there are some, uh, some hefty looking metal doors down there. But I suppose... Um, The Pyongyang metro was built around the time, obviously, of the Soviet Union, and during that kind of time, public transport networks and sort of that kind of thing were very symbolic and very important in communist socialist countries because it's embodying the idea of collectively, you know, this is a system for everyone to move around the city, as opposed to in the West use of cars and personal transport. And so I think that was sort of the main drive behind it. Although that being said, I mean, if you were building a, a metro network, there's nothing to say you wouldn't incorporate something like that in the same way i remember living in seoul the metro stations have that sort of dual foot function and then there's that little red sign letting you know that it's also That'd a bomb cool. shelter
0: <laughs> i do but they're nowhere near as deep as the ones in uh, in pyongyang they're, that's true i remember thinking yeah. on the uh, on the escalators uh that i was very afraid afraid of falling over you know and and uh <laughs> yeah. and sliding all the way down uh, or or what if the yeah. thing stopped and you had to walk all the way up it's a very very long yeah. way out
1: yeah yeah i mean are, and that's part of the interest i think and why yeah why it's, it's always and will always be, I think, in tourism, something that people want on their itinerary because it, it's talked about a lot. And when there is all this, is it, is it built for this second purpose? Is it not? It just adds to the mystique about it and perhaps yeah. why that, that video did relatively well as well.
0: And I, I know I'm going down the rabbit hole of not talking about the videos as much as talking about the metro, which is not what I want to do, but I do have one more question <laughs> no. for you. Is, uh, do, yep. uh, do tourists on the metro buy the same kind of ticket as uh, locals do?
1: So uh, as far as I understand, I don't believe so. I believe that's organized through our partners, KITC. But that's to do more with the part of the job that I would have got into had I been able to stay longer. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't quite my area. So I'd have to, I think that's a question for the, uh, the people who are working in the tourism industry at the moment. I can't okay. answer that with any degree of certainty.
0: <laughs> All right. But what do you want your audience to know about North Korea?
2: Anything else than what the mainstream media in the Netherlands or in Korea uh, shows them that there's so much more, the culture, the food, uh, music, uh, people's interests, hobbies, but I guess my channel focused mainly on anything related to North Korea outside of North Korea. Right. So, for example, the, the submarine that was captured, uh, I made a documentary that I, in which I cycled along the DMZ from west to east. Ah. I'm going to Yongpyong next week, the islands. Um, I talk to, uh, I do a lot of interviews with people uh, who lived in North Korea, or uh, I talk to the uh, defectors, the SKPs living here in South Korea. Just um, trying to get information anywhere I can. Yeah. Uh, And now looking back myself at the first series I made on North Korea, I'm just so not satisfied with the quality anymore. (laughs) Um, You know, the way I do the voiceover, the way I do the editing, I I was such a newbie at that time. Right, Didn't know much. And it was the first ever uh, big thing ever that I produced. Yeah. So yeah, anything I can find on North Korea, but not in North Korea, I will make videos about
0: <laughs> Right. And, uh, and now you're going to be working with NK News on producing videos, or you actually, you've already started, haven't you? You've made some, uh, some fun videos with uh, Chad, like how to make a phone call to North Korea. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that.
2: Okay. Um, yeah, so the goal is uh, with NK News YouTube channel is to make something more serious out of it. Uh, they have a lot of amazing articles that they want me to translate into a video.
0: Right.
2: And by doing that, I think I come closer to the field of Benjamin, just uh, <laughs> behind the desk trying to animate you know, from beginning <laughs> to the end, every uh-huh. second, every minute. So I, I really feel the pain of Benjamin right. in finding you know, <laughs> the right footage for that one gap right that you yeah. have. Because <laughs> you have to fill every second with something to... Uh, visualize what you are saying yep. and yeah. the, the style that I have on IGA Bart is going somewhere and use the environment to visualize uh, right. and express my story but this time I cannot do it thank News, so I'm learning a lot of things along the way but I'm uh, getting a lot of inspiration from DPRK Explained
0: <laughs> right so you're moving from the style of uh, of straight uh, video sort of travel documentary and vlogging to actually uh, animating and, and showing uh, information in a visual way
2: Exactly. Yeah, but luckily I have access to an amazing database uh, with footage from over ten years' visits to North Korea and uh, uh, yeah, North Korea TV. So yeah, there's a lot, lot of good stuff to work with.
0: Uh, ben, have you got any advice for Bart?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I would say I'm very jealous of your access to, to such footage. I, I don't know. I mean, I would say um, I think that the thing that I've discovered in this is. Um, you don't say what you see. There's a lot of YouTube channels I've seen that talk about, I mean a lot of things, but especially talking about um the DPRK, where they'll have a you know, we're talking about, say, the Yang Gakta Hotel, and they'll say, it's a very big hotel and it has lots of windows. And you kind of want to say, Yeah, I know that. I mean, you can see that. And an educated right. audience will see that. So what you want to do is if you've got something on the screen, and this is just what I this is what I sort of try and follow. You don't need to necessarily say it in the narration. You want to talk about something that's a bit more in depth that maybe you can't get the footage for. But, yeah, don't just say what you see. It's very easy to fall into the trap of, uh, I, mean, I've, I mean, I've certainly done it a couple of times, having something on screen and then just saying, this is what you're looking at, and that doesn't necessarily make for the best video.
0: Right. This is a map of right. Pyongyang. A river runs through the middle of it. Yeah, it's called exactly. the Taedonggang, <laughs> and it's labeled the Yeah. yeah. For example, yeah. yeah. Not that you did that, but that's what somebody. No, could no,
1: do. no, exactly. It's exactly. It's the kind yeah. of thing to avoid. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's right. That the, the narrative exposition doesn't need to match the uh, the visual uh, showing so much. Yeah. That's yeah. a good yeah. tip, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Ben, do you get requests from other people? I mean, I know I, I mentioned earlier that I thought you should do one on religious sites in North Korea. Do you get requests <laughs> from other people say, you know, why don't you do one on, on this? What's the most popular uh, thing that people ask for and explain a video on?
1: I suppose a lot of, it really does vary. I mean, I do get a lot of, I say at the end of the videos um, to, to keep suggestions rolling in because I do like, sometimes someone will suggest something that I completely hadn't thought of. I suppose a lot of the, some of the most popular requests are to do with the military and things that I, it's not really what the channel's about. And so I usually do say, I said, it's a very interesting topic, but it's not quite where the channel's aimed because there's a lot of stuff out there already about those kind of topics. Right. and. To be honest, it's these things where we don't fully really understand the mechanisms of how all this stuff works, and so I can't then claim in any kind of authoritative position to explain these topics because right. I can't, I can't in, in, in good faith really understand them. And so, um, but that's probably the most common. Although occasionally, um, there are some topics that come up, like the video I released a couple, probably a week ago, of non-mass games.
0: I really enjoyed that one. I watched it last night.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. That hadn't really crossed my mind until someone suggested it, and I said. Well, I could look into it and it's got an incredible history going back yeah. sort of through the Soviet Union into Europe and all that. And then Adinang, because a lot of people uh, conflate the mass games in general with the Adidang mass games. And so essentially you, there, there are, through KCTV, full recordings of that There's a few of them um, yeah. from different periods of time. And so I thought, well, I'll just explain the, the sort of the theory and sort of what's the storytelling behind that, because it is when you understand it, it adds another level to the incredible display of sort of watching mass gymnastics. But then if you right. understand, OK, this is representative of this and this, it sort of adds another level. And people seem to respond to
2: that
0: quite well, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Bart, do you get requests to, to make videos about certain things? Uh, I think not as much as Benjamin,
2: because my <laughs> channel is a little bit all over the place. Right. Uh, but I'm hmm. asking my subscribers myself, like, hey, guys uh, and girls, please, you know, if you want me to go somewhere, just let me know and I will consider it.
0: Uh, for, in, in Benjamin's case, I was thinking, uh, I would imagine that you'd probably get a lot of requests for a video about the uh, the pyramid-shaped Ryugyong Hotel in Pyongyang <laughs> that never opened up. Am I right? Yeah. Do you get a lot of requests yeah. for that?
1: I got a lot on that um, in the aftermath of the hotels video I did. Yeah. I sort of got, there were two kinds of comments I got on that video. I got one sort of a smaller group of people who didn't want to, well, who were very surprised that there were more than one hotel in Pyongyang and sort of to say these are the sort of 10 most popular. Uh, I got a lot of that, and I got a lot of people asking about why didn't you mention the Ryugyong? Uh right. the, the, the argument I used then was, it, we, I don't have a lot of information about it, it's not open. But that being said, it's on my, what I like to call my whiteboard of ideas. Uh, it's on there, because increasingly, the more I've been sort of slowly looking into it, I've found a, quite a lot of information that I could potentially piece together into a video, and it's a lot of information that hasn't been particularly talked about and sort, yeah. of, sort of it's not something that's in the public consciousness and so that's what I want to try and get into is if I do a video on a, a popular subject like the Ryugyong Hotel to really produce something that's not already been done so that's one right. of the things I check before I make a video is has this been done and if it has been done has it been done well enough that I don't feel like I'd be adding anything to the conversation and so the Ryugyong yeah. is one of those ones where potentially yes if I can find the information I'm looking for
0: and there was a time uh, I, I think about 10 years ago, when Simon Cockrell of Correo Tours actually was allowed in and, and given an ele- elevator right up the top. Do you know whether he took any photos or fo- or video footage?
1: Uh, I believe there are some photos. I, I had access to them when I was very briefly put in charge of Corio Tours' Twitter account. I believe I've put some of them up there. Ah. I believe they are there, and, and I've chatted to him about it. And so that, and that, that's a very interesting story. I believe he's discussed that already a, a few times. And so. Right. Um, yeah, the, the information's so the,
0: out there but i thought if you had footage yeah. it could be recycled into an explainer video you know to, to oh, sort of yeah, bring, no, bring all de- the yeah. threads together
1: yeah yeah definitely so i mean that that's that's one of some of the things i'll look at before even sort of writing down an idea as a certain video plan is going what can i make and what's available because a lot of the time um there's a great video idea out there but there just isn't the the stuff isn't available especially with the dprk being closed at the moment yeah, it's yeah, not it like i can go okay well next time i'm in I'll film something or I'll record something or I'll get that but so that's at the moment is one of the big problems is working out what's actually available
0: a question for both of you I wonder if you're at all uh, concerned about reactions to your videos from within North Korea Uh, let's start with you Bart I
2: was at the very beginning because I I always wanted to go back to North Korea and I I wasn't sure that after uploading a whole entire series on North Korea uh, would ever be able to go back again uh, but then I called uh, Simon Cockerell from Korea Tours and I asked him this question he said and he asked me okay so what did you do uh, I explained to him okay I've been here I also been on South Korea media explaining about my journey and everything and he estimated that it would be okay to go back again but then the borders closed because of the pandemic uh, I got a lot of opportunities to collaborate with other uh, YouTubers who are North Koreans uh, and I didn't want to limit myself uh, from not doing these uh, collaborations because they help me grow my own channel. Mm. So I kind of give up on the idea of going again. Right. Uh, just hope for the situation to improve a little bit and that they allow me back in. But yeah, I'm not so sure actually, and I don't really care these
0: days. Okay, all right. Uh, and Benjamin, what about you?
1: I would say, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, it's something that um, it's, I'm concerned with it, but it doesn't worry me. Um, usually because I do my best. I mean, I'd never, I'd never want to make a video that would upset or offend anybody. And one of the things I've learned, maybe it's just from an, an upbringing of, if you go to someone's house, you don't want to offend them, you don't want to upset them. And I think it's the same with the culture and, and that sort of thing in the DPRK. One of the things we always told um, tourists going in was, whatever your opinion, you have to have be, have be respectful of the culture and respectful of what the locals are respectful for.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that's something that I've tried to carry on, um, and sort of a mantra I've tried to follow. And obviously, initially, I come in from a background of working in tourism. so. Right. It's the side of stuff. I sort of follow the kind of stuff that we would have uh, talked about at Corio and sort of in tourism generally is the kind of stuff I focus on. And then additionally, I've got some um, Korean uh, friends and colleagues, mainly who I've met through contacts in uh, Ulaanbaatar. Uh, who I will run things past not so much for in any sort of self-censorship but mainly just to fact check because there's been a couple of times where you'll put something out and I go I'm 100% sure about this I know that it's true and a Korean will just go no that's that's not that's not accurate yeah. so and but I'm sure that they would let me know if there was anything they go "Well, that's that might upset some people that might cause some offense because that's not what I'm setting out to do I don't want to upset anyone and I I'm not there to try and expose anything dramatic I just want to talk about a, a really interesting country and an interesting culture so
0: is there a, a sort of a, a fine line between, on the one hand, being respectful, on the other hand, not being promoting or sympathizing?
1: Uh, yeah, I think there's definitely a, a fine line. I think that's uh, something that I do my best to walk sort of quite carefully. Uh, but I think that the one thing I can say is that every I can stand by everything I've put in the, in the videos is well as well sourced. So the stuff that I'm presenting is uh, well, I'd like to think is as objective as I can make it and as fact-based as I can make it. And I think there's enough content out there already about some of the more, the more sort of the politics and the, the sort of geopolitics and the situation there. And so I think in that sense, what I'm trying to do with this is to rebalance the sort of information that exists on YouTube and on the internet about North Korea to focus on some of the, the cultural aspects. And I think in that sense, there isn't a lot of controversy in these topics and they're just interesting. And so that's sort of the line I try and walk. Is to not talk too much about any controversial topics that I can't back up, and to really just concentrate on the stuff that I can back up with facts and information and sort of objective ob- objectivity.
0: Yeah. By the way, is there a, a big community of North Koreans in Ulan Bator?
1: Um, there's 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 a few. It's one of it's uh it's an, an, an interesting place. I believe Pyongyang is twinned with Ulan Bator in some in some capacity. Oh. I read that somewhere. So I think there's there's a. I mean, as with I mean, not not anywhere to the scale of China. I'm not, you know, there's not you know, huge numbers, but sure. um, more so than than perhaps anywhere anywhere else
0: in the world. No, oh, wow. Are, are they business people, students?
1: I, I think. Well, I think I, I would want to uh, give too much away about who what they're doing, but I think that there's um, a, a good mix, but presumably mainly of business. I think mainly okay. there's it's a, it's an opportunity. As with to be fair, there's a lot of foreign nationals in Ulaanbaatar and in Mongolia because yeah. there's a lot. A lot of business potential in a, a growing economy or a, a, an economy that has the potential to grow. So I think that that's a lot of people here.
0: Because I'm thinking also, there's, there's also a lot of South Korean uh, business people in, in Ulaanbaatar. And it's, it's yeah. not that big a city, it's not as big as Seoul. So there, there <laughs> no, must no, be no. times where they they uh, have you been at places where they've met each other?
1: not uh, in ulaanbaatar uh in beijing though um oh. there were a lot of south koreans visited i used to go quite a lot to the DPRK, the, the north korean restaurants in beijing right it used to be a great sort of nice place to go and so there would be uh, you'd occasionally get south koreans there who were just intrigued or yes. some of them who went there quite a lot who liked it but that was probably that was probably one of the few times that there was a lot of interaction but i suppose more so probably in china than purely just because of the numbers there are a lot more uh, north koreans and south koreans in china than here here, the, the, the split is, is vastly more South Korean, <laughs> very, very much so.
0: Actually, that reminds me, Bart, that in Amsterdam, there used to be a North Korean... Well, there were, there were two North Korean restaurants for a while. Did you ever visit either of those two?
2: Uh, no, I never did. It uh, shut down twice, so they yeah. reopened after the first shutdown. Um, and, and I believe there were actual North Koreans working in there um, and the Dutch businessmen
0: right the first time it was uh I, no i never went to either of them but uh, the first time it was opened by two dutch businessmen and they brought over a whole crew so something like i want to say uh nine waitresses slash dancers and singers uh, and two uh, chefs who worked in the kitchen uh, yeah, and then that true. restaurant was shut within a year uh, yeah. i believe and then yeah. about a year later a and this is interesting a south korean father and son uh opened the second restaurant with the same crew. So they simply bought the, uh, the waitresses and the chefs over from the first restaurant uh, and opened it again. And then that was shut within a year. And probably that whole crew of North Koreans has gone back since then, because um, that was quite a while yeah. ago.
2: Very interesting. I, I know that uh, the last veteran, veteran I talked to, he, he visited there with a, a South Korean pin wow. on his chest.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> like, how, how was that problem. received? <laughs> he didn't respond
2: to it. He uh, didn't say anything. Right. Gee. So yeah, it was a small story. Because yeah, too bad I I couldn't visit myself. It Would have been interesting.
0: Is there anything that you two would like to ask each other before we wrap up?
2: Oh, I could I can think of I can think of a few. I, I was
1: um I, so I think initially I suppose um. On, so you were obviously visited in 20, 2018, 2019, just before. So it would have been just before I started working at Korea Tours. And yeah. what was what was your opinion of of the DPRK on that trip? Because that would have been a, I would have loved to go at that kind of time. And i never really managed it but what did what was your opinion of being in pyongyang over the new year
2: oh well i think uh, pyongyang was nice but my favorite place was uh sariwon oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because there was a moment uh, the guys there were just kind of let us free and it uh, was really cold and the, the lake was frozen so i walked on the lake i got an opportunity to uh, talk and interact with a lot of people but overall i was just happy to experience that north koreans uh, whether they are the elite or you know uh, part of the, the top also are just people i know the, the the tour is very organized and there's not much freedom to do whatever you want to do uh, there are still opportunities to interact with people along the way uh as yeah, long as you're yeah, respectful yeah. and and don't don't try to push it right uh, talk about politics and and the leadership yeah 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 uh so oh, there's brilliant. a small framework within you which within you can actually experience a really nice uh humane interaction with north koreans and that's yeah. what i loved about the trip oh brilliant that sounds very yeah. nice <laughs> and um so actually i have a question because uh i saw on twitter that you made a really nice map of north korea oh yeah oh, you, the right? map
0: of the the administrative um uh, subdivisions oh, yeah. of, of the, of the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. different counties and, and special administrative cities and things like that that was a nice uh, yeah. a nice map to see benjamin Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, did that take <laughs> I don't you a while? I don't know
2: if you're if you're selling it or the rights, or if I ever no, am I mean, allowed to use it with, um, you know, uh, referring to your channel on my yeah, channel. No, honestly, honestly,
1: use it. I mean, I, I the only reason I made it was, I it was some it was sort of mid afternoon. It was I didn't have anything else to do, and I was just looking up random things. And the map that was on Wikipedia at the time was outdated and really difficult to read. And I thought oh, I could probably knock something together that looked sort of a bit nicer and was a bit more up-to-date and a couple of days later um i'd managed to create something that i thought looked quite cool but the right rights wise i just put it on wikipedia it's free to use i just it was more sort of wow. for the public consciousness because all right, i thought all right. if that information is available but it's not been put anywhere and so i thought i'd
2: be the one to do it i suppose <laughs> so are you planning to become a full-time youtuber or a-
0: Right. Uh, that, that's oh, something, uh, uh, so. Let me interrupt there. Uh, so, Bart, you've made this your, uh, your living now, haven't you? You are a full-time YouTuber.
2: Uh, yes, exactly. I'm a full-time YouTuber.
0: Yeah. And Ben, would you like to do the same?
1: I don't, oh, I don't think so. I mean, it, no, it's not something that I'm looking to get into particularly full-time. With, um, there's a few sort of projects that I'm working on with uh, the Koreans and in Korea that sort of a few irons in the fire at the moment. So hopefully when things get going again and the border opens, I can start working on some of those projects. So for the time being, it's a really nice thing to spend a lot of time doing. and I want to carry it on. But in terms of trying to make it a full time sort of career, it's not something that I'm it's particularly on the radar at the moment, I'll say.
0: But is it stressful as stressful as Benjamin thinks it might be? And how actually did you manage to achieve it? How did you go full time and say, well, I don't need um, you know, a full time job now. This is my full time job.
2: Um, yes, it is very stressful. YouTube is very unpredictable. And um, for one month, you you can do amazing your videos blow up, you get lots of views, subscribers, and the other month, you know, the the views disappear, and people are not interested anymore, and they they don't like the new direction. So there's always this feeling of insecurity, uh, which can cause uh, depression or, you know, a level of stress that that will impact your uh, personal life. Um, It's hard to take a very difficult to take a break from YouTube, you're always thinking about it, even in the weekends, at night in your sleep (laughs) Uh, but yeah you either go all the way or you don't so uh, either it's it's a hobby or a job and at some point I had to make a decision because it was uh, taking too much of my time to just call it a hobby yeah so I I chose to become a full-time YouTuber and, and go all the way and go through the stress and learn how to deal with it
0: Well, yeah. congratulations, my hat goes off to you that you've managed (laughs) to do it so far. But uh, yeah, I can imagine, as you say, that you're thinking about it all the time. And um, sometimes people don't react well to a different direction, but also it can be the algorithm. Right. I mean, you're at the mercy of the all powerful uh, YouTube slash uh, Google slash alphabet algorithm. And you don't Mm -hmm. know uh, what can drive your video uh, searches up or down that list.
2: Yeah, maybe a piece of advice because twice I ignored the momentum that I uh, had on my channel. So first was the North Korea series. After that, I was a bit afraid and scared of all the, the overwhelmingness of, of yeah. the, you know, getting fans and stuff like that. So I yeah. ran away. Second time was with the first interview, a veteran interview. Again, uh, lots of views. I ran away. And now the <laughs> third time with the revisit uh, program of the veterans, I again received a lot of views and I decided, okay, I should just go 100% uh, for the subject, North Korea, Korean War,
0: right. uh,
2: and anything related to that. And that was the best decision ever.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, that's
2: very so, really interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 Capture, like grab the moment. Grab it and go. The...
0: <laughs> grab <laughs> it and go, Benjamin. Perhaps that's yeah. uh, some advice for you to... Uh, yes. To, no, to I'll bear that in mind. Get out there and just <laughs> keep doing it full time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank both of you for coming on the show today, Bart van Nuchteren and Benjamin Weston with their YouTube channels, iGoBart and DPRK Explained. You can also find them both on Twitter, at Bart Genuchten and Ben Weston, DPRK. Thanks once again, gentlemen. I've really appreciated your time today. It's been a fun chat. Thank you very much for having Thank me very on. I'm very honoured to pleasure. be invited on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News subscription, take a look at our NK Pro platform, which offers unparalleled services, specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today also if you have any feedback questions or guest recommendations please send an email to us at podcast at nknews.org now thanks as always go to arias dare and brian betts for facilitating this podcast and to gabby magnuson our post recording producer genius thanks and listening again next time